Thank you, Mike. Good evening. Well, can we say how wonderful it is to be here with you? We've known Mike and Becky for many years. As Mike said, uh, he lived underneath us in the flat below our house. We have a daughter and three sons. The daughter's pretty quiet on the whole. The three sons make a lot of noise. So Mike, if you've, if you've developed long-suffering at any point, I think it was that point well, in your it, life living under us. I think it was just a foretaste of what was to come, Mike, with you yeah. and your three boys now. Anyway, we have uh, three of our four children are married. We've got six grandchildren and one on the way. So family life sort of features large in our lives, and it's so good to be here with you today on Big Family Sunday. Yeah, thank you for inviting us, Mike and Becky, and it's wonderful to be here and to be a part for a day of your church family. And as we were praying just now, I was just thinking, there is so much power in family, and there is so much blessing in family, and whether that's our natural family or the family um, of God, and it's so lovely to come and to be a part of this family here today. Now, if Nikki and I have learned anything from years of family, um, it's this, that building a family doesn't just happen. Actually, what, whatever our experience of family growing up, whether you have children of your own or not, actually, we are all involved because we're all part of the church family. And all the principles that apply for natural family apply for the church family. And building a family takes investment. Investment over many, many years. And, and it involves sacrifice. That's what relationships are all about. Um, at the moment, we have our um, eldest son and his wife and their three children staying with us. They live in, in the States and um, they're over here for the moment and they're staying with us. They've got three little children and um, that is certainly, they're, they're like oh, really little, four, three and one. So you can imagine what our household is like at the moment for any of you around young children. It is full on and it's just a reminder to us of all <laughs> that is involved with family. And for those of you who are actively involved in parenting children, um, we just want to say to you, to, to encourage you, that actually at the moment, some of you may be feeling this is endless. Will this ever come to any fruition? And, you know, it can seem like day after day, it's the same stuff, night after night, if it's the young ones. But actually... All the sacrifices that we have to make as family, and again, whether that's natural family or church family, all those sacrifices we make are what we need to do if we're going to build real, loving, strong family relationships. And I know that that's hard. I mean, we don't want to kind of stand up here and make it sound like it's easy. Um, I can remember very, very well having young children and the endless routine, thinking, I don't think I can do another tea. Um, you know, I can't go shopping to Sainsbury's again and buy all the same food over again. I remember with teenagers, you know, the worry, 
I mean, hours laying awake at night, worrying about where they were, whether they were coming home, what they were doing. And probably most of all, the negotiating yet again, the boundaries. But as I look back now, I can really see that, you know, all of that effort, all of the hard work that we poured in was really worth it because we were building. We were building relationships. We were building um, our children's future. And now, I mean, at the time we couldn't see it, but now they're quite normal people. You know, they're <laughs> grown up. They have a husband or a wife, except for one, and um, their own children. They're starting the whole thing. And it's a wonderful thing to see. Um, there is a Canadian woman that some of you may have heard of. She's a woman called um, Anne Voskamp, and she writes an absolutely fabulous blog on particularly family. She's a mother of, um, she and her husband have six children, and she writes about family, and she writes about life generally. And uh, our, actually our daughter-in-law, the one in America um, with the three little children, um, has really loved this um, blog. And she actually put me in touch with the blog because she said it's been a total lifesaver to her at times. And I just want to read something that Anne Voskamp wrote recently. Put one foot in front of the other and you can put any mountain behind you. After a whole lot of one steps in front of the other, day after day, you can turn around and see every day that you do the hard things that you don't want to do you're building the family you always wanted to have. I love that last bit. Every day that you do the hard things that you don't want to do, the sacrifice, the effort, the hard work, you're building the family you always wanted to have. And just before I hand over to Nikki, I just want to tell you, we had a wonderful example literally just the other day. Um, we, have, we have a great friend at HDB who... Um, uh, we've known for 35, 40 years. And um, she she's a, a mother of, of six children. She became a single parent 20 years ago. And it's been an amazing journey watching her parent those six children. And we have watched her pour herself out to, to build her family. But of course, the amazing thing is she hasn't done it on her own because she is part of the church family. And, you know, the church family have been absolutely key. And whether it's been um, single people, married people, older people, younger people, with their own children, without children, everybody at every different kind of stage and I, that's why I love Mike talking about the whole intergenerational thing have been involved in supporting and in contributing to the children's growing up and there's an African proverb I'm sure you are all familiar with it and it goes it takes a whole village to raise a child and uh, we really saw the kind of um, fruit of that three Saturdays ago, because the last of the six of those children got married. And the, all of the children, all six children, have a strong, active faith. They've all married godly husbands or wives. And this um, final daughter got married three Saturdays ago. And it was a wonderful, wonderful celebration. And you know, it was a wonderful celebration because we were all celebrating one of the family 
being married. And because we had all felt involved and apart with all the challenges, all the ups and downs, all the, you know, the things that have happened over 20 years, we've been involved in building and seeing those children um, raised and see them following the Lord and now in marriage following with a godly partner. And that is what family is all about. That is why it's powerful. That is why family is a blessing. Now, as Mike said earlier, Sarah and I have been running courses on relationships for many years. And one of the things I love is when I come across a story of a really long marriage. Uh, Sarah and I have been married for 39 years. To some of you, that will seem like a long time. But this particular story I read was about a couple who were celebrating their 80th wedding anniversary. And I looked at this story and I thought, oh my goodness, we're not even halfway there yet. Anyway, we're going to keep going. We're going to set our tar- sights on a, on a record. They were the longest living married couple. And when I read the article, one of the things that amazed me was that they lived in England. I thought you'd have to sort of be eating nuts and berries and living in the Himalayas to set a record like that. But anyway, they were here in England and there was a newspaper article uh, with an interview. They were called Percy and Florence Arrowsmith. Percy was 105. Florence was 100. And it, the article went like this. The marriage had been a success, said Mrs. Arrowsmith. Wonderful British understatement. (laughs) Because they still worked hard at it and never retired to bed on a quarrel. Uh, Percy's answer was more concise. He attributed two words to the success of their marriage. Yes, dear. Clearly hasn't lost his sense of humour either. Anyway, Mrs. Arrowsmith continued, it's not been easy, but worth every minute, because he's much more than my best friend. He's the love of my life. We don't argue much these days, only when I want to watch the soaps on television, which he hates. (laughs) We have had our arguments, but we work through them together. We always go to bed as friends and always make up before we go to sleep. Every night, we kiss and hold hands. He can't settle down if I'm not holding his hand. Mr. Arrowsmith nods contentedly. Yes, dear, he says. (laughs) And that's a wonderful story, but, you know, it's quite rare today. But it's not just marriages that are breaking down. It's relationships more generally. And many people around us today are asking the question, how do we build strong, lasting relationships? And I hope you know that the Bible is very practical. The Bible tells us how we are to do it. And there's a passage I want us to look at tonight. It comes in St. Paul's letter to the Colossians chapter 3. And this is a, a passage about how we build strong relationships that uh, we've come back to again and again. If you've got a Bible near you, it's on page 1184. It's Colossians chapter 3, and I'm going to start reading at verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. 
Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray as we sit. Lord, we want to thank you so much that you are the God who speaks to us. Thank you that you're here now, and we thank you, Lord, for your word, that your word is active, that it's powerful. And we pray that tonight you would open our ears to hear your word and open our hearts, Lord, to receive whatever you want to say to us. For Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. I want to concentrate on just three words from that reading. Thank you, my darling, very much. And those are the three words are put on love. Put on love. And what's clear is Paul is talking about love, not just as a feeling. He's talking about love as something we do, as a deliberate choice, as deliberately as we might put on a shirt or put on a jacket. And notice as well that this passage here, it's addressed to those who know they are loved. It starts, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. We love out of knowing that we are loved. That is a first principle of Christian relationships. We love out of knowing that we are loved. Tonight, I want to talk about four practical points for putting on love in a way that will affect all of our relationships. It'll affect our relationships with our friends. It'll affect our relationships in our family. It'll affect our relationships at work. It'll affect our marriage, if we're married, with our children, with our grandchildren, or a dating relationship, if we're going out with somebody. And to help you remember these four points, they all begin with the same letter, the letter P. And tonight, it may be that there is one of these four Ps in particular that you know God is speaking to you about. And I'd love you to hold on to that and come to God, as we will together uh, later on in the service. The first P is be proactive. I take that from uh, what Paul says about these articles of clothing. He says, clothe yourselves with kindness. A kind person is someone who knows what another person needs and puts themselves out to meet that need. I don't know about you, but I find it very easy to be reactive. And if you're married, married you will understand this. I think in any marriage, there will always be certain things that irritate us about our husband or wife's behavior. I can see some knowing smiles around the room at this point. Uh, you might well think uh, that after Silla and I have been married for 39 years, after running the marriage course three times a year for the last 20 years, we had managed to iron out all the irritating habits from our marriage. Uh, I'm sorry to say if you thought that, it would not be true. Uh, let me give you one example. And I'm going to give you an example of one of Scylla's irritating habits, only because I'm the one standing up here and she's sitting down there now and has left her microphone safely here. So 
I want to divulge something to you about our marriage, and I think you'll understand what I mean as I describe it to you. Now, in our marriage, I am always the first one up. And the first thing I do, I go down to the kitchen and I make us both a cup of tea. Uh, and then take it to, up to Silla in bed, who is just sort of struggling to come awake. Now, when I go down to the kitchen in the morning, if Scylla has done the washing up the night before, and before I go any further, let me make it clear. I do my share of the washing up. I'm only just saying if she's done the washing up the night before. She has this irritating habit of not emptying out the washing up bowl. So when I get down there in the morning, here is this cold washing up bowl with the, where the grease has congealed now around the edge of the bowl. And it's worse than that. Not only that, but she leaves the washing up brush in the water. So I have to pull up the sleeve of my dressing gown, put my hand into this cold water to take a, a greasy water. I, I can feel your sympathy even as I talk about it. And then to try to clean the grease out of this bowl. And I've spoken to Scylla about it on a number of occasions. And to be fair to Scylla, she does it less often than she used to. But just occasionally, actually it's a family trait I discovered. Just occasionally she reverts uh, to it. Uh, just to, I did ask Scylla if she could think of any irritating habits that I had. I'm rather sorry to say she didn't hesitate. She came up with actually quite a long list. And right at the top of the list, she said, if we are late leaving the house to go somewhere, you insist on polishing your shoes and making us later still. Well, I think it's a perfectly normal thing to do if you're going to be late. Least if you turn up with clean shoes, it makes it a little bit better. Silla doesn't quite see it that way. Relationships break down when all we do is react to each other's behavior. Being proactive is when we focus not on the other person's behavior, but we focus on their needs. Uh, we know a couple called David and Teresa Ferguson who'd been married for 30 years when we first met them. And I remember David talking about a turning point in their marriage. He said this, for the first 15 years of our marriage, I focused on my needs and Teresa's faults. For the last 15 years of our marriage, I have focused on Teresa's needs and my faults, and our marriage has been transformed. Now, this is true. That principle of focusing on the other's needs, not their behavior, is true not just in marriage. It's true in every relationship. It's true for friendships. It's true for family relationships. It's true at work. And the question we need to ask ourselves is, do I know the needs of my friend or my mother or a child or my husband or wife? Do I know their needs at an emotional level? When did I last ask them the question, how can I best help you and support you? One of the, uh, on the marriage course that we run, we always make it absolutely clear that there is no group discussion. It's all, actually on the marriage course and marriage preparation course. It's only a discussion between the couple. These conversations are entirely private. But often we give the couples an exercise to do, which sort of, you know, initiate the discussion. And one of them is uh, we, we give them, in their, they have a manual each, and they have a list of 16 needs or desires, uh, particularly sort of at an emotional level. Things like attention, 
support, affirmation, affection, comfort, security, and so on. And they, they put which are the three most important from this list for themselves. And then, without looking at what their partner has put, they have to try to guess which are the most important for their husband or wife. Then when they both finish, they can exchange their manuals, see what their partner has put. One wife with a husband called Steve uh, said this to us after the marriage course. She said, when we did that exercise, Steve put what was very important to him was affirmation. I was shocked. He'd been a very successful partner in a very large company and had an incredibly successful career. He was an upfront type of person who I didn't think needed a lot of affirmation. And I thought, I don't believe this. I've been married to this person for 22 years and the one thing he needed, I didn't realize. Being proactive is following the example of Jesus. Jesus didn't come to judge us. Jesus knows every one of our needs and he gave himself to meet our greatest need of all upon the cross. The Greek word that is translated kindness appears only three other times in the New Testament. But one of those times is when Paul is writing to Titus and he describes the gospel in these words. The kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared. Paul writes, clothe yourselves with kindness. That is having an outward focus. The first secret to making relationships work is being proactive. My second P is be patient. Paul writes, clothe yourselves with patience. Bear with one another. Relationships can easily be spoilt through a quick temper. You know, a, a household, no more than an office, can, uh, uh, can't relax if they never know when the next explosion or the next mood might come. I, I, I recognize in myself my temper is a lot shorter if I'm tired or if I'm under a lot of stress. But there is one thing above everything else that causes a quick temper. And that is when anger is buried. When anger is not resolved, but rather somebody just pushes it down. And, and one psychologist and counselor said this, anger that is held inside becomes hate. And the key to patience, the key to bearing with each other, comes in the next phrase that Paul writes, forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another, Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And as Martin Luther King once wrote, forgiveness is not just an occasional act, it is a permanent attitude. And I don't know, it may well be that that's why in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus tells us to pray that, that phrase, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. I don't know whether you make it a daily habit to pray the Lord's Prayer. I think it's a good thing to do. <laughs> Not least because every time we get to that phrase, we have to ask ourselves the question, is there somebody that I need to forgive? Maybe from very recently, maybe from a long time ago. I understand that's a challenge. <laughs> Forgiveness 
is hard. It always involves giving up something, giving up the sense of our own rights, giving up our self-pity, giving up our pride. And the Bible tells us that as we forgive, we, what we do is we put the hurt that we feel into his hands. We, we leave the consequences to him. And if we don't forgive, then we, uh, the anger will be buried. It won't just go away. And buried anger will cause us to be on a short fuse and all of our relationships will be affected. We've got a great friend, she's Japanese, called Keiko. And uh, ever since, we, we, we met her about 30 years ago, and she, over many years, has done a huge amount to bring reconciliation between her own country people and former British prisoners of war. She'd take groups of prisoners of war out to Japan. And there's, there was an article about her work. Part of it went like this. When husbands who suffered, uh, sorry, when husbands who suffered terribly have been able to express forgiveness, their wives have often commented on the change in their marriage. They sleep well again and are less easily irritated by small issues. The second P is be patient. The third P is be positive. You will know, like I do, that negative people are hard to be around. Those, you know, those people always see the glass as half empty. The uh, well-known psychiatrist, Dr. Anthony Clare, who had that uh, program on the BBC called In the Psychiatrist Chair, said this, having people around you who make you feel good is the first step to human happiness. And as Christians, what Ever our situation, all of us have so much to be thankful for. And three times here, in three verses in this passage, Paul says, be positive about what you, what you have. Verse 15, be thankful. Verse 16, as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Verse 17, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And that's what we do when we gather together. That's why it's a wonderful thing to come together as God's people, to sing worship songs to him. And the very act of doing so will affect our relationships. Because cultivating a positive, grateful attitude affects how we treat other, other people. Now, positive people are encouraging people. Positive people look for what is best in others. And that's a very important principle in relationships, not least for people that we might work with or study alongside, and if we are responsible for people in the workplace. When I was first ordained 30 years ago, the vicar at our church in London, HTB, was a man called John Collins. And uh, for the first Two or three years, as when I was a curate, uh, after every time that I preached, and I was not good at preaching, uh, I used to go and see John on the Tuesday or the Wednesday. 
And I remember every time I went, John would find at least three really encouraging things to say about my talk. Uh, looking back, I realized he had to work really hard to find three. He must have, he just, uh, you know, went through it, but he'd always find at least three things to be encouraging about. And then when he'd encourage me, he would say this phrase, I just want to point out one or two tiny things that you could improve on. And then he'd tell me one or two things. And you know, whenever I went to see John, I, I came away feeling, you know, I think I can do this. It was a real struggle putting sermons together and preaching, but I felt I can do this. And I have never forgotten any of his comments, those tiny things that I could improve on. And when we encourage anyone that we're responsible for, whether it's at work or whether it's in ministry, we draw out the best in them. Let me, if I may, just tell you one, one other little exercise we do on the marriage course, only for illustration, because actually it does apply to all relationships. One of the exercises is called showing appreciation, and we get the couple to write down in their own manuals six things that they appreciate about their husband or wife. And we say, it really is worth coming up with six if you possibly can. It's going to make the evening go better. And then when they've written six things, they exchange their manuals to read what their partner has, has, has written. And for Scylla and me, that is one of our favorite moments in the marriage course, because as we look around the room at these couples, all sitting two by two, we see the body language changing. We see smiles breaking out across people's faces, sometimes who we know are actually in a very difficult marriage. And often people will come up to us afterwards and say, do you know, I read something my husband or wife had written that I had no idea they even noticed, let alone appreciated about me. And we found in our own marriage that the more we express appreciation to each other, the more appreciative we become of each other. Before I go on to my last P, I want to see if you can remember the first three. So the first P is be proactive. Well done. Second P is be patient. Third P is be... And the fourth P is be peaceful. And by this, what I mean is be full of God's peace. Because just after Paul has written, put on love, he writes, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. You see, when we are at peace on the inside we can be at peace on the outside. And it's, as I said earlier on, it is when we know that we are loved, then we are able to love others. I want to finish by telling you a story about a couple called Billy and Debbie. They were in their 30s. They lived in Northern Ireland, and they'd been married for eight years. They had no church involvement at all. Billy said that when his dad died, he made a conscious decision. He was going to harden himself and not let himself be close to anybody because he didn't want to get hurt in, in this way again. They described their, their marriage as a nightmare. Billy was bad-tempered, wasn't much fun to be around. When Debbie's mother died, Debbie was very upset, but Billy said that Debbie hadn't been much help to him when his parents died. So why should he be much help to her? And instead, he started to blame her, and their, their marriage was just falling apart. Billy and Debbie went on a romantic weekend to Paris to try to patch things up. And they, 
they said after that that they still loved each other. They realized they loved each other, but they couldn't talk to each other. They couldn't connect with each other. And Debbie said, our relationship was coming to an end. I couldn't fix it, and neither could Billy. And at that point, they met some Christians in Northern Ireland called Peter and Beryl. And Peter and Beryl, Peter and Beryl invited them to come to do Alpha in their front room. And there were about, I think I said 10 or 12 people or so uh, doing it. And after the meal, Peter said that they were going to watch a talk on the TV. And, and Debbie said she thought this was going to be really boring. But she found it really interesting. And as Alpha went on, they became more and more excited. And uh, after week three of the course, by which time Debbie had already committed her life to Jesus, Billy sat on his bed and he said this to God, Lord, I've lived in this world for 32 years without you and I've heard about you for the first time. I'm so, so sorry for all the things I've done wrong. I need you in my life. And then he described what happened. He said, as the weeks went on, I started to forgive everyone who'd ever hurt me in my life and I felt the bitterness lifted from my heart. Debbie described, after that our marriage began to mend big time. It felt like we just started all over again and all those years before were just nothing. I felt like I hadn't lived. I felt I was opening my eyes for the very first time, seeing everything new and fresh. As for Billy, he was like a new person, more loving, caring. I fell in love with him all over again. And Billy concluded, what God has done in my life is amazing. I was the most ungentle person you've ever met, and God has come into my life and turned it around. Patience wasn't a virtue for me. I didn't have it. But now I find I rarely get angry. I don't raise my voice. I couldn't possibly have made that much of a change in myself on my own. There is only one person responsible, Jesus. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And Billy didn't know it at the time, but actually, that's a pretty good summary of the whole letter to the Colossians. It's Jesus. Put on love. Today and every day, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That is, let God's word shape all of your relationships. Be proactive, be patient, be positive, and be full of God's peace. We're going to pray. Would you like to stand, please? And as I said earlier, it, it may just be that there is one of those P's in particular that God has been speaking to you about, or it may be that there's one relationship in particular that God has been speaking to you about tonight. And nothing is beyond God's power to restore, to heal, to change the situation. And I'm going to pray that God will come by his spirit now. And that he will come and he will touch each one of us. That he'll fill each one of us afresh with his spirit of love. And that as he comes, he speaks into our hearts. So... Let's stay as we are. You might like to close your eyes and you might like to 
put your hands out just in front of you, just as a sign to God, Lord, I want to receive from you anything that you have to give me or to say to me tonight. Lord, thank you that you are here. Thank you, Lord, for your promise to give your spirit of love to all those who ask you. And we pray, come, Holy Spirit. Come and fill us now. Come into this place, we pray, and touch every single person. And would you come and speak into our hearts of your love, of your truth, Lord. Now let's wait. Let's allow God to speak to us. To some people tonight, I think he just wants to say those words. You are dearly loved. You are my dearly loved child. If you know that's for you, why don't you just respond to the Lord? Just say quietly, thank you, Lord. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that I'm your dearly loved child. And for some people here, it's one of those P's in particular. I was talking about being proactive. You knew someone that you needed to reach out to in love, to meet their needs. Maybe somebody very close to you that you're married to or related to. Maybe somebody at work. Now, Lord, would you show us? Show us how we can reach out in love to meet the needs of another with your love, Lord. Some of you, it was around patience and forgiving someone. And there's someone in particular that you know you need to forgive. And I want to make that possible for you now because forgiveness is a choice. It's not, first of all, a feeling. It's a choice to do so. And I want to suggest that if you know there's someone you need to forgive, you imagine that this person is standing in front of you and... You speak to that person silently. Imagine them in your mind's eye and say whatever their name is. You've hurt me in this way or that way. But I choose to forgive you tonight. St. Paul writes, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. I choose to forgive you tonight. And you, you may have done that before, but... Forgiveness needs to be an ongoing process. Each time the hurt comes back. For some of you, it's around the being positive. And you know there is someone that you could encourage. Maybe a, maybe a child. Maybe a, if you have a teenager, maybe a teenager you need to encourage then why don't you pray the Lord would give you the words and give you the opportunity to do so. 
and then be peaceful. Lord, we pray that your peace would come to fill the hearts and minds of every single person here. Um, I felt the Lord gave me a word of encouragement for all of you here. I felt what he said was, speak to all of the people and say, you are my chosen people, holy and dearly loved here in Guildford. And then he reminded me of a verse in John's gospel that goes like this, Jesus speaking to his disciples. And I think Jesus is speaking to you, his chosen ones here in Guildford, his holy and dearly loved family. And he's saying, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And, and then he reminded me of what Mike said when um, he was starting the service. And he said, oh, it's rather dark in here. And then he said, oh, maybe it's because the sun's shining and the sun's so bright. And... And God reminded me of that and said, there's a huge amount of darkness in our communities, in our, around us, everywhere, hurting people, hurting because of relationships often, broken relationships and pain. And I felt God say, you are my chosen people, dearly loved. And as you love one another as family, as my family on earth, you're going to bring the light of Christ's love into the darkness and the light shines way brighter. It shines so bright that the darkness can't put it out. And that's what he wants to say to you. You are doing that. And he wanted to, I, I felt he wanted to encourage you to say, go on loving one another so that other people here in Guildford will come to know my love. So, Father, I, I just pray for this family here, your family, that you would pour out your love upon them in even greater measure, even greater abundance, that they might love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. They might just urge one another on. They might seek to put any relationships right that are not quite right. And as they do so, they would see huge blessing as many, many people around them in their streets, in their neighborhoods, in this city would come to know your love. Thank you, Lord. Oh, we know God has been speaking to many people here tonight and some of you about a particular relationship. And if that's the case for you, we want to encourage you just to come up to the front here and just to allow somebody to pray with you. You don't need to give any details about the relationship that it is, but just to pray for you that God will fill you with his love, fill you with his grace, that this relationship would be changed. And you may want to come forward as a, if you're here as a couple, and maybe just to come as a couple, pray a blessing on your marriage, on your relationship, but it may be about a family relationship, a friendship, a relationship at work. And just make your way to the front here. God is here. He is at work blessing people, blessing relationships. 
And if those on the ministry team would just come forward as well and just pray for those who come forward. As I say, you may be just coming as an individual, you may be coming as a couple. But I think tonight, God is wanting to heal relationships, some of which go back a very long way. And there's nothing that he can't do. And I think we're going to sing again as people come forward. Uh, and we'll need people to pray, please. I might be wrong about this, but I, I sense there was somebody here tonight who wasn't sure whether they had ever really given their life to Jesus. And just like Billy, you can do that tonight, right here, if you felt your heart being drawn. There may be all sorts of questions still in your mind, but if you felt your heart being drawn, this is the God by His Spirit drawing you to Himself. And I want to just pray a very simple prayer that you can make your own. And you can know as you pray this that God accepts you, he loves you, and he's drawn you to himself to be his child. If you know that's you, would you just echo this prayer silently in your heart? Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for bringing me here tonight. Thank you for your love. I want to say, Lord, I'm sorry for all the ways that I haven't loved other people, all the ways I failed you and others. Please forgive me, Lord. And tonight, I thank you for your gift of forgiveness. Thank you, you died on the cross for me. Please. Come into my life. Please come to fill me with your spirit of love that I may know that you will never leave me and that I will be yours forever. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, can I encourage you to tell somebody? You could come and tell me or Stella or Mike or somebody. Can I also encourage you at some point in the future to do Alpha? It's an amazing way just of looking at the basic questions of life and growing in the Christian faith.